I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today, I am joined by Jeff Shackelford. Uh, it was a spectacular year in 2022 of major championship golf, and uh, I think it got overshadowed a little bit by everything that's going on off the course with uh, Liv and the Upstart League and the disruption it's caused uh, to, to golf. So, I wanted to have Jeff on to talk about the men's majors and really what unfolded there and, and keep the talk about really, I, I think when we look back on it, it will be a historic year of, of major championships. I, I can't think of one recently that was better. Obviously, we've had years that have had better singular moments like Tiger Woods, but as a collective, I don't think we've had any that really, really stand up uh, when you run down the list of them, you know, every single one of them had really memorable moments, um, both early rounds and later rounds. So Jeff and I discussed this year's majors, what made them special, um, and they lived up to the hype. So without further ado, here is Jeff Shackelford. All right, Mr. Shackelford, welcome back. You're on the podcast as the forefront major championship newsletter, you know, the quadrilateral, the uh, you're, you're jack of all trades at the quadrilateral, your, your large staff, you, you manage to, you know, perfection as well as, you know, running everything from finances to logistics, you know, Mr. Shackelford, welcome on here. Uh, we are excited to talk strictly <laughs> about the majors in 2022, which was a a wonderful year of major championships. And uh, I want to kind of relive the golf. I feel like it's gotten kind of uh, trampled and is under almost underreported on how great of a major championship season we had this year. Well, thanks Andy. Yeah, it's good to be back. And, and it was a sensational year. I mean, we've had a couple of great seasons lately in the majors. Um, and I think this is one where, you know, sometimes we judge them by how the players go on and play later on, but I think, uh, and we'll, we'll see how this group does in their careers and in history may look back on it like, wow, they were kind of one hit wonders. But I think that if you really look at this year, it was just, uh, a, a kind of a dreamy blend of, of venues and setup. Uh, weather was interesting, but not fatal um, to the outcome of the event. I don't think, although I think the masters was dulled a little bit by the cold. Um, but, but I think the thing that was really cool are that you would say to somebody, if, if the, down the road, this turns out to be like a, uh, you know, Angel Cabrera, Lucas Glover, uh, Stuart Sink, Y.E. Yang year, uh, in terms of player careers that you'd say, well, uh, you know, all these players were basically the best players at the time coming into the event. And I don't think you could say that every year in majors. You, you, it always feels like there's somebody who's coming in really playing great and they, they get screwed by a draw or they just don't play well. It just felt like every one of the majors, the, the people we knew were 
we're trending in the right direction, we're rewarded. And that is rewarding as a viewer, but it's also a compliment to the setup and the course and the whole thing. So um, just, uh, yeah, I thought it was a, a, a sensational year all the way around. And and uh, we knew it was going to be good, too. And, and then you kind of throw in the way every venue played out. And again, that cold weather was a little bit weird at, at Augusta and Southern Hills. But um, and what that kind of does to the players, I think, is underestimated. So, it, but all in all, just a uh, yeah, fantastic finishes, and I'm very happy to be uh, focused on covering the major championships. Yeah, I think when when the PGA made the move to from Trump Bedminster to Southern Hills, uh, you know, two years ago, it set up. You know, you looked at the calendar and you're like, wow. I, you know, I don't know if, if we'll ever see a lineup that really matches this in terms of interest in, in golf courses. Obviously you have, you have the masters at Augusta every single year, but then adding in, uh, Southern Hills, which, you know, I thought the, the renovation that Gil and his team did, and obviously the setup, the, with Russ Myers, the agronomy there, it was a sensational major championship host. Uh, we hadn't seen Brookline in forever. And, you know, Brookline comes back and and really, like, I thought was a, as good of a U.S. Open host as we've seen in some time. And then, obviously, uh, ending it with the old course uh, for the 150th was just kind of a romantic way. But I think, you know, going into it, you, you know, with the venues, you looked at the venues and you thought, wow, this could be a really special year just from a television product. But then to get the the dramatic finishes um, at, you know, the PGA, the U.S. Open and the Open and, you know, the most dominant player coming in at the at the Masters winning in in a kind of somewhat of a runaway fashion felt fitting for that event with the way Scheffler played coming into it. Yeah, no, we always have at least one major year where it's just it just uh, falls pretty flat. And it seems like, I mean, just going through the years and um, each one got better as the year went on. I mean, the PGA was, it was a, a little bit weird. I think the weather was part of that. And then uh, it all kind of came together in a crazy way on Sunday. Um, and Scheffler was really screwed by the luck of the draw. And I think uh, that was probably the one situation that, that was uh, uh, unfortunate, but it just happens. And then, um, yeah, the, the quality of the, the finishes of the last two were just off the charts. Great. And, you know, people probably laugh at us obsessing about architecture or course setup, but if you're ever going to say to people, well, this is why you do these restorations. This is why the setup matters. This is a year you would just point to and say, I think, especially because we've been to Southern Hills and the country club before. And they were they were good solid venues in the past, uh, but they went to another level in the way, uh, in the in the stuff that they brought out of the players and the and the yeah I mean I just you can never put a number or a way to to measure uh, how much more enjoyable it is when the players are tested but they're rewarded and we had and, and you're almost old enough I'm definitely old enough to just have been through so many majors where the setup put the guys on, on just full defensive mode the whole time. And it was boring to watch and you didn't feel good at the end. You just felt like the player who hung on the best one instead of the player that pulled off some incredible shots. And I think that's what stood out this year was 
uh, just the, the overall reward for, for great play that we had some epic, I mean, we had two all time great closing rounds in a major with Rory at, at, uh, uh, the masters and Cameron Smith at the open. And, and, and then, yeah, I mean that, that alone right there, those two rounds were, were, uh, just remarkable. And we didn't have years like that where that kind of thing could happen. So it really validates to me uh, when you when you open up these venues a little bit <laughs> with tree removal and, and you don't choke them with uh, narrow fairways and, and get the rough silly and you let the players put on a, a show, they still separated the fields very nicely. Um, you know, the only quibble, obviously, is the old course. The, the whole locations get ridiculous. And uh, I don't know how you ever can quantify that in terms of Cameron Smith's final round, but I sure feel like that 64 was more like a 60 or 61. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's just several holes there that uh, in all four days, by the way, not just Sunday that, that you just, you just, you, you aren't rewarded even if you hit an A plus drive on, on some of those holes where that, where you take on the, the trouble. So yeah, just, um, a sensational year that way, venue wise, we were really spoiled. I think something that uh, that uh, so a memory that, and we'll get it. We're going to rank uh, the the majors uh, one through four, but you know, oh, and then are. talk okay. about a couple of memories. This is not one of the memories that I have written down, but um, you know, one of the memories that that points to the you know what what you were talking about with uh, with restoration is was Will Zalatoris on the 18th hole at Southern Hills. I think it was either at the end of regulation or a playoff. He hit it way over right, if you remember. And he and he hung up in short grass. He wasn't in rough. And, and you know, he was blocked by trees, but he was in the short grass. And he hit this huge swooping cut from there to avoid the tree. And typically, that situation, it would be rough. And you'd be in rough. And... You know what rough would do would it would really limit your ability to hit that cut shot, and I think it ended up just yep. short. It was a thrilling shot, like it ended up on the fringe. Great, great shot, and like for a moment, I think he thought it was perfect. You know, everybody, it's right online. You're watching it, and it's like that moment. That shot is a shot that if that golf course isn't restored, if it's narrow, if it's thick rough, that doesn't happen. You know, he's hitting it out like probably yep. short left and hitting a pitch shot up. And instead we got that, like, you know, I think moments in golf when you're watching golf is, you you know, it pains me to say you see the shot tracer, right? I'm always a, a, a anti-shot tracer guy, but you see the shot tracer and you see the cut and you're like, oh, that's going right at it. And you can see his reaction of, of watching it, you know, intently. And it's like, where's this going to end up? Where's it going to land? Where's it ending up? That the moment of you're kind of like, and that's one of the things that golf has is that you know, wondering where the ball is going to end up is one of the most beautiful things for a golf fan to watch, right? Is that suspense. And in that situation, it would have been a very boring kind of chip out short right or short left chip up situation. Instead, we see a, a, a great ball striker hit a shot that is, you know, we rarely see a swooping cut, you know, shot with an iron trying to hit it onto the green. Well, I, you know, that hole, there were multiple instances where that hole in the past, 
uh, prevented anything interesting from happening. And don't forget, besides that shot by Zalatoris and the recovery and the fun of seeing a recovery play or, and wondering, you know, also wondering how it could go wrong. And the, the announcers always do a great job of that. Don't forget that, you know, uh, Mito Pereira's drive ends up in the creek because of the expansion of the fairway. Well, that's a, one of my okay. moments. Oh, I okay. So I didn't know that. So anyway, that. but the point is a lot went on on that <laughs> hole. I thought it was easily, those two finishing holes were easily the most uh, radically different holes this year, and they totally impacted the championship, I think, in all great ways. It's not like the creek, you know, reached out and grabbed, uh, Mito's drive. He hit a bad drive. Um, so anyway, I, I just, uh, the, all the dimensions that came into play. I mean, the old 17th was always revered, revered there as one of the great short par fours. And I was like, well, it's just a nice little driving pitch. I never quite got it. And then obviously what happened this year with all the expansion of the fairway, all the different ways to play it, you could drive it, kind of bomb it left, try to get up and down. I mean, all the things that came about by opening that up and, and getting the shorter grass around the green. It, it was fun to watch in the practice rounds, just watching guys try to map out a way to attack it. So all those dimensions, I think in the past were viewed as negatives because they could uh, lead to birdies, God forbid. Uh, and now it feels like we're getting, even with the technology, we're getting past that fear from the people who do the setup and the realization that, oh, wait, no, this is this is more interesting to watch, but it's also by having those options for these guys, actually more difficult when they have options and then they get under pressure and then they see what other people are doing and they try to, they can't, they're not thinking clearly. And that's where things get interesting and where you weed out the really good player from the, 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 the truly uh, all-time player and i think that's just um it's just so cool to see the architecture do that i think a big theme of this year's majors is the venues obviously we talked about that but also what's happened with the venue wars the the hoarding of venues and we had arguably two of our premier um pga and u.s U.S. Open venues on display that we didn't necessarily know were premier. And it's like you leave them. I, I remember at the end of each of those weeks, I was just like, both times I had the same feeling of, I'm really sad that this championship isn't coming back here anytime soon. And I don't see on the schedule when it's even a feasible time for this to come back. And it, it illuminates what has been going on with, with venue selection and booking these things out between the PGA. I think they're, they're obviously guilty, but less so guilty than the USGA, which is I mean, effectively completely booked through for the next 25 years. And it's like, well, when can we get, when can we get the country club again? When can we get uh Southern Hills again? Because they were well attended and the, and the golf courses just were so good for the modern game. Yeah, I, th I think they both really didn't – you didn't feel like they discriminated. It felt like every kind of player could play well on them. Um, and they just worked visually. They worked logistically. You know, I think the, the country club was sort of seen as we just have to get through this kind of thing. And the USGA uh, got rave reviews from people I talked to on site. They had a very – you know, I'm sure it was a lot more work 
kind of complicated shuttle system, but there were all these options and people said it was great. And uh, they had a, uh, you know, and then they got on the property and they, it felt good and felt big and um, felt like a U.S. Open. And, yeah, you heard that comment a lot, too. It felt like this feels like the U.S. Open again. And and that was without. Yeah, that was with some rough, but it was it was with a combination of things that came together. And you're right. Twenty thirty eight is probably the next time they can go there, which is amazing because because Boston is a, a is a good sports market. And, and it's like, wow, we don't have a tour event there now. I mean, the live goes went there once. They probably aren't scheduled to go back, I don't think. So it's a market that that would embrace the golf. And wow, we don't have a date for you. And, and the country club, by the way uh should be saluted too i think it was a club that the usga and and them had some historically have had differences and it's been a little bit of a weird struggle over time and there was no sense of that there was no sense of uh you know where it's your at this at the country club and and how lucky we are to be there they were welcoming the, the the whole thing just worked and i got the sense from the players they felt that way and so just a home run. And then, yeah, same thing with Southern Hills. 2032 is probably the next option. And you look at what Seth Waugh said this year about it's almost irresponsible, this kind of going way out because we just did, we put this together in 18 months. And yeah, they had a senior PGA there and I had a people in place and it's a market that doesn't get majors and they embraced it, blah, 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 all that. But still a lot of work to put that thing together and have it seem like it was years in, in planning and then have the golf course be a home run. And know that May, I think, is pretty clearly a tricky month for venues. And so when you look at Kiowa and then you look at this at Southern Hills, you're like, well, those are basically two places that are, to me, should be sort of every seven-year PGA Championship venues if they're going to stay in May. They just work on so many levels. And, you know, we've got the schedules really heavily booked. Uh, with with two two committed to Frisco that hasn't even opened yet, uh, Quail Hollow, which is uh, you know seen plenty, and then um, you know Valhalla's got one more, and I I never begrudge Valhalla because Louisville is a great uh, sports town and and really embraces the championship and it produces exciting golf, and you just can't you can't beat that when you a uh, course has that kind of track record, but that'll probably be the last one for them uh, for a while. So yeah. It's a weird, uh, weird thing, this locking up venues. And it's not like the USGA is locking up bad ones. It's just that I think there's something weird when you don't have those openings on the schedule for the obvious ones at work or to give other places some hope or some incentive. Uh, there's a long list of reasons. I mean, it's a first world thing, but still, it's it's weird. All right, let's talk about the majors, um, and let's just kind of go through them. We'll go through them chronologically. I asked you to, you know, I think a way we we could go through these is favorite early round, uh, uh favorite early round memory or uh, lasting memory, not necessarily favorite. It could be, you know, downer, and then you know, late round memory. Uh, so let's start with the Masters. Um, what do you remember most from the early round? I mean, I think the two things that stand out. Well, it was I, overall it was just kind of weird, but mostly because uh, because it, it, you know it just was uh, Scheffler just sort of took charge on Friday, and it was sort of strange. Like uh, I, I know some of you guys weren't playing great coming into this, but this is this is bizarre uh, <laughs> to let him dominate. But I, I mean, Tiger's opening seventy one is pretty miraculous when you 
think about it more and more the way the year went, the way even the weekend went there with his putting. Uh, and he did that with, uh, I think, a bogey on uh, on on eight. Um, that was pretty nuts. And uh, and then and and one other one from that uh, Cam Smith doubling one and 18 uh, and playing eight under par f- for for the 16 hole stretch in between was really he really had a stunning masters <laughs> I mean, he, he he had more birdies than Scheffler. so yeah it was it was a weird uh it was a weird masters just in in a sense because of the weather i really mostly the weather and i think i guess i was a little surprised i feel like going into that event those first two days are a little more exciting but kind of going into that event we, we really knew a lot of the top guys weren't really that sharp and it played out that way the course just kind of exposed who was on on form and who wasn't you uh i think you know early is you can't ignore tiger um that was like the dominant i I will never forget i was uh i was by the tree by the first tee and um i'll never forget i was in a conversation back to the tee and you i i heard this just incredible roar like just like you didn't have to turn around. You knew Tiger Woods was coming to the tee. That's one thing that I'll never, ever forget in my life is that roar and that, you know, you got, I got immediately got goosebumps and you don't have to turn around. You know who's going to the first tee. But then, you know, watching him effectively will his way to making the cut, um, you know, and I think this is true for the PGA and here, him making the cut. You know, and then seeing some of the players, the top of the inform elite players who miss the cut, you're just like, this guy is on a whole different in a whole different stratosphere in terms of a competitor. Because him getting through that, given the circumstances of how soon and with the injury and you know, how you saw him later in the in the year, especially at like the open, you can just tell how how bad and how painful it must have been for him to get through and make the cut. I I mean unbelievable achievement and and tied to that i'll never forget watching tiger i was i was sitting behind the ninth green watching him on the second round and and scotty scheffler was a couple groups behind him and as the green vacated he finished up i'm looking and there's scotty scheffler the hottest player in the world the number one ranked player in the world who's currently blitzing the field and there was not a soul really watching him as he's going up eight. Like there, the, 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 the pay, there's no patrons. There's the, the, you know, the, you could just see clear as day through that, like kind of those trees. And usually if, you know, with tigers there, it's just a sea, sea of, of people. And, and here it's just like, it's a barren, it'd be like you were out there in the morning during a practice round before the fans have been let in, you know, you're looking out at Scheffler who's, who's just taking apart the golf course has won. What was it? Four of the last six events coming in or three of the last five events coming into the event. And uh, just like those were the two early, early round memories, but mostly paired to tiger. And it's just like the ability for tiger to just take the oxygen out of anything else happening on site was my early round uh, memory. I was on 13 when he came through. And as soon as tiger went through the place, just vacated. And I, 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 there were a couple of younger guys sitting in front of me that I could have a kind of, I could be myself and make comments and not get too many dirty looks from, from, uh, older patron type of th- people. I'm like, P- 
people, the leader's coming. Where are you going? Like, why are you leaving? But it's a weird, it's a weird situation there. People, it's an early crowd that leaves early. I would say they have dinner or somewhere to get to. It's always strange to me that I would, I would love to see the masters have an afternoon pass so that those grandstands remain full, but it, that's not happening. What's uh, what's your late, late round memory? Well, obviously, uh, Saturday and Sunday were, were a little bit wild with the, the, the drop on Saturday on 18 that uh, I'm still not, you know, thrilled with, uh, not overly comfortable with. I, it was by the book, uh, blah, blah, blah. But it was for Scheffler on 18 that uh, I, I think he got a huge break there that he was able to take a full swing and he hit an unbelievable shot. I mean, arguably the shot of the tournament, a three iron where it was about, he hit it about 250. It ended up because it went long. Um, so that, that was a huge memory. And then him grinding late on Saturday uh, down on the range in the dark was a, was a wild scene. Uh, and then, you know, Sunday, um, uh, he was in control and Rory's round was fantastic. And it was that weird little double at the end. And, but I, I, you know, the, the, the idea that he came in and sat down and just revealed this, uh, I didn't even go down for the winner's press conference. I was sitting up in my seat and I was listening and trying to put my newsletter together. And I didn't expect, I mean, I would go down there if I thought it was going to be interesting. I did not go down there and I'm listening. And he starts just telling the story about how he you know, broke down and he felt overwhelmed and, he was a, a sobbing mess. And it's like, that takes, that takes, you know, a couple of divorces and depositions and, and others and about 25 years to pull that out of a guy to admit that. So I, I, that just has stuck with me that he opened up about that and that he overcame it and won the masters. Yeah. I, you know, for me, I was, I, I was going to go with that, uh, that drop, but I will, I will, <laughs> I'll change course with that. No, you can you, do you that. Covered it. No, but I think another moment, it, it's just like the unbelievable ability for the 12th hole to always kind of be this formative position in that tournament. And you know, we saw it with Tiger when Tiger won in 2019. It just be like, you know, effectively the hole that decided the tournament this year. We had, you know, kind of a crazy with Cam Smith. Cam Smith was lurking like all day. And obviously it looked early like he was going to be in control. But then Scotty had the chip in on three and he's still hanging around. and He's making a charge. And we saw at the players we saw at the open just how dangerous this guy is down the stretch, like in, and he will go out and hunt down people. And here he is in that same position. He cuts it to three and then the 12th hole, he just makes this awful golf swing and bites him. And just, you know, the, the, I think one of the things I, you know, this was the first one that I covered on the ground. And, and one of my big takeaways uh, of the masters you know, and it's been said, but I, you don't really understand it until you're there for a, few, for a number of days. It's just how challenging that golf course is and how hard it must be to get committed over shots with the way, the way you can't feel the wind. And I think that, you know, when you're that 12th tee, is just kind of the encapsulation of what makes you know, those small targets and the conditions where you, you just can't get yourself 
comfortable and and you have to have such commitment over what you believe that number is and I think that was a shot where he just didn't really know what the wind was doing I was standing there and you know you're looking and it's it, everywhere you look it it feels you know it looks different which way the wind's blowing and he just hit an awful golf shot right uh, yeah I don't know after the round he said that that he felt like it was the right club it was nine iron it was basically a 160 yard shot and he just felt like he didn't hit a good shot, uh, and that was that. I'm sorry, but the record is very clear on that hole. In fact, this book I'm 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 finishing up on golf architecture. I I go back to to that moment because it's just another one in the long list of moments on number twelve where players just just for whatever reason, except Tiger Woods and a few others, can't accept that the angle, the way that green sits at an angle. You just don't go with that 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 flag because and and the forecasted win was directly into you that final round. So even if you felt no wind and you felt like the nine iron could get there, there's a reason you always play to the center of the green uh, and play that shot. What Tiger does, what Ken Venturi was would ramble about every year and beg guys to do, and and I it's the genius of the hole, but it's also a little bit of a to me it's a I, I feel like it was a mental mistake. The idea that he was thinking that club could get there and just because he didn't feel the win you, you had to know that was the direction it was coming from and it's up there somewhere there's something up there so I thought it was a, a, a monumental mistake from a guy who didn't make many mistakes this year I think I, you just hit on one of my you know obviously like analytics has brought this whole you know course management strategy oh you know golf architecture doesn't matter and you just effectively explained why golf architecture matters. Great golf architecture can lull people into making bad decisions. And the 12th hole at Augusta is the, is the quintessential. It's a shot that, you know, you can hit and it, and it puts, especially with great players, you know, like a, a tour pro that's attempting to win a masters. They believe they can hit any shot. It pits a player's ego against what they should do. And the 12th hole is the perfect example of that in a play out with golf architecture. And like everybody knows they should hit it to the middle of the green, but it's so difficult in the moment to do that and not, and pass up on, Hey, I've got a nine iron from a perfect lie and I can hit this right at that flag. And I, I don't, you know, I just, I would love to know more what goes through the mind. Um, I mean, we know Tiger, it's just a no brainer for him and, and he's willing to even make, make four or three putting taking that, that pin out of play than he is to, to go at it. And it really is though, uh, so fascinating how it happens every year. And, uh, yeah, just be interesting to hear what, what Cam Smith says, maybe five, 10 years from now and reflecting on that shot. I get why he sort of was defensive at the moment after and, uh, I also just can't fathom that a nine iron would have would have worked, even if the wind was just completely dead still. But whatever, it was a uh, it was again exciting moment. The Amen Corner did its thing, and uh, and it'll be very different next year with a with a new tee. So we'll uh, we'll see how that plays. Thirteen, that is. We'll talk about the, uh, that thirteenth tee ad nauseum uh, in, in in March and April. That's gonna be that's gonna be beaten into the crowd. So let's talk about. The uh, the PGA Championship, the second major of the year, uh, which was won by Justin Thomas. Uh, he won in a playoff over Will Zalatoris. I, it seems 
to me, the lasting memory of this major will not be Justin Thomas's win, but rather what happened around it. So what's your early round memory from Southern Hills? You know, Thursday, Friday, I guess what I, I go back to is that that the draw was was definitely the one this year where where the, the weather really impacted those those late early guys and and the uh, early late had a huge advantage. I, that kind of sticks out to me just because it, it essentially uh, killed Scheffler's chances of, of winning. Um, you know, I think the the other standout for me <laughs> was some of the bitching about uh, bunkers. Uh, it was a little stuff. It was the, the, I mean, that was just, just so bizarre. The whole thing, um, guys had plenty of practice shots. They knew they were a little firmer and, and then ESPN had all these different explanations and it was the, the pebbles and the, this, and, and it was like, I, I just, it was just bizarre, uh, that, that, that became a thing with some of the guys. And I mean, Tiger had some horrible bunker shots, but he didn't. He didn't blame the uh, the course. He just he just didn't he just didn't uh, evaluate the, the 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 depth enough or understand the sand well enough. Uh, so that was weird. And then uh, I did the vibe was was a little strange. You know, you had Phil back and he didn't. He uh, Dave Stockton said he wasn't missed at the Champions Dinner, and yeah, it was just it was it was definitely a a little. I would just call the the first two days. It just seems like it was a little unsettled. I guess we'd just leave it at that. The whole thing. Yeah, it's uh, I I my takeaway was the sand drama. <laughs> it was so strange, you know. Here you are, you got the the greatest professional golfers on the planet, a major championship, and the idea that bunkers and bunker sand, the the type of sand, becoming this huge story. It's you know the, you, that's your job. It'd be like a a pilot saying, you know. Listen, I, I can't fly through these clouds. It, you know, I can do the uh, cumulus clouds, clouds, but the Nimbus, I don't do that. And, you know, it, the idea when, and it kind of like the homogenization of professional golf and the idea that these guys go and play every single course and the tour's aim is to make them the same as the other course the next week. Right. It, it, Rory had a great quote about it where he talked about how, you know, week in, week out, you know, the tour tries to be the same. So you don't have to do prep. And the idea of like, oh, we're just going to present these guys with the same test every week and and kind of like how that robs golf fans, how it how it dumbs down and dulls down the game and and prohibits us from watching, you know, these these really cool situations right that unfold in these different you know one player you know the idea of like think about if tennis played on the same court every round right uh, like we would have been lost we wouldn't get Rafa Nadal's like clay dominance like his career the incredible things they did at the French Open and you know then also his evolution to become an all-surface player like we would lose that and and the idea that golf has actively done this to their own game is it I will I you know that was a lasting memory just in terms of of you know how how poorly thought out you know the the people that set up pro golf uh have it like you know that that the idea that everything should be the same and that that this different sand that's a delightful sand to play out of having played there like it it's beautiful sand like the fact that it was different 
caused this huge uproar and, and the idea that they, it shouldn't be the sand that they should replace that it's just silly like the sand you know and this probably gets into a wider discussion but like sand should almost always be local in my opinion you know these these courses spend unbelievable sums of money to import sand from ohio or pennsylvania you know across the country when Really, if you want your golf course to be unique to your area, one way you can do it is by having local sand. Yeah, the beach sand at the old courses, build the beach sand. They don't they don't try to bring in something to uh, appease the players. Uh, by the way, just to be on brand with this podcast, the other thing that that the players seem to not mention in this horrible bunker situation was nobody's ball was plugging, which is the thing they really hate. Uh, I thought they could always get off uh, get out of a bunker, even if it's 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 firm. Fried eggs, not so much. And the ball wasn't plugging, so that wasn't an issue. And the course was in immaculate condition. Um, they had all the practice round time in the world to get used to them, and they did, at least the guys I watched. Um, so, yeah, it was it was really strange, and it was um, it's unfortunate. And, yeah, I just, and again, on this book I'm working on, I have a lot on local knowledge. In fact, it's one of my projects to try to trim it down. But... I'm always fascinated by how local knowledge is offensive to some people now, that, that it's not seen as a thing that, oh, here's a way I can get an advantage by figuring out the local stuff that I need to know. Uh, it's, it's, it's gone the other way, and I'm trying to write that this is something you should cherish as, as, a, as something to be able to outsmart your opponents with by, by picking up this stuff and they had i you know and again there was no heavy rain that changed them it was just weird anyway <laughs> i'm sure russ is listening to us right now just going all right stop move on <laughs> he doesn't want to hear it um all right late round late round uh memories well sunday was just uh wild in the sense that you were like you said earlier it was essentially Mito's. CBS was uh, brought in Joaquin Neiman to give the life story because it just didn't look like anybody was going to catch him. Uh, Justin Thomas shanks it on the sixth hole. We never saw that on the broadcast. Um, he faced a, a grueling decision on 13, and he and Bones had the greatest conversation. And thank God I picked it up on the, the featured group and you could go back and watch it on the featured group. That never made the air because we were doing the Mito Pereira life story. Um, and again, I, yeah, Hey, they had to do it. Like this guy looks like he's going to win. And, but we missed a couple of key moments from the eventual winners final round. I just can't, I just can't wrap my head around the fact somebody cold shanked it. He had 121 in, according to Shotlink, <laughs> in for six. Uh, Bones, I did check, I did ask Bones, uh, he, who, who is not a fan of rangefinders, um, as you as you might imagine. He's a pretty traditionalist type. Uh, the rangefinder was used for, after the shank. He said, I never thought, I never thought I'd use it. Uh, and I certainly never thought I'd use it in that situation. So he overcomes a cold shank to win a major. Um, the And then 13, he gets basically the same situation, a little different lie in the playoff, and and also lays up and then plays, uh, you know, 17 so beautifully. So I, I, I uh, yeah, a lot of people will probably remember Mito's drive on 18, and it was it was uh, it was not pretty the swing, but I I just kind of on on Justin Thomas and and overcoming the shank and and um, 
and then just playing so beautifully on the back nine and in the playoff. But you don't think it'll be remembered for for any of that? I I don't know. I think I mean, I think there's going to be some memory of that. But I think it'll always be the Mito falling apart before our eyes, uh, just disin- the lead disintegrating as the back nine wears on. And you know, and JT posted the numbers. It, it you know. It's so often in majors where, you know, they say, oh, you know, you never know. He posts the number. It's the rare time that it actually yep. came to fruition <laughs> where the that number posted, despite, you know, there's some scoring opportunities down the stretch of that round. You know, like that, it's not a, a course that's just got like a incredibly taxing finishing stretch. It's not easy. You know, 16 and 18 are bears, but, you know, along the way, 13, 15, uh, 17 are all holes with some good shots are, are very attainable birdies. Um, so with that, my, my kind of centers around Mito and, and Cam Young, two young players, both quintessentially rookies. I think Mito didn't really technically be a, it wasn't technically a rookie because of the battlefield up, uh, last year, but these two rookies, young players in the moment, and just how difficult it is to get it done. Um, we saw Cameron Young make a double on on the 16th hole that kind of ended his chances. And you know, you looked at him and it was like, oh wow, this guy might be might be the guy. It was starting to look like that. And and kind of coming out of at that point in his season, it was a real surprise that he was there. I don't think it is anymore. But you know, it was a surprise that he'd be in here. And and then you start to examine like it was kind of his coming out party. Um, but with Mito and him both. Having those struggles, uh, Mito, you know, you you watch him hit shots for effectively two days. Every shot you see Mito and just the way in which he went up to that 18th tee, it was so drastically different. And, and it was a rare time. I think like, you know, these elite players especially make, you know, take Cameron Smith at, at the open, make look, make winning a major look quintessentially easy easy when it was so extraordinarily difficult and that was a rare opportunity and you know it happens every five to ten years where we see a player that that really you can watch and say he definitely felt it in that moment you know it was it was almost an out-of-body experience uh for Beto Pereira it seemed like how fast everything moved for him from just getting up there. I mean, the camera wasn't even ready for the shot. He was going so fast. Well, and and by contrast, I think if you look at Justin Thomas, uh, I think that's what stood out when you watched him that when we did finally see the times we saw him on Sunday, uh, he was slowing the game down. He not, not, not in an obnoxious way, but for him, I think he's somebody who can uh, at times, uh, you know, just seem, he just does he doesn't look, happy, comfortable, whatever. He, 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 you could just see he was a different person. He was in a mode. Uh, he was in control of emotions, the whole thing, tempo. And that's why he plays 72 holes. What about the U S open Brookline? Yeah. I'd say the first two rounds. Would, I think I liked that. They just felt like a typical U S open. You had some surprise stories. You had your uh, Joel uh, Damon, I, I, I'm not worthy to play in this. I don't even know why I bothered to qualify. And then there he is, you know, at the top of the leaderboard. Um, you had the stars kind of finally wake up in the afternoon on Friday of Morikawa and Ron playing really well. Uh, so I just liked that the first two days were, were kind of your uh, normal 
uneventful style us open other than you know the broadcast was was lampooned and i am sorry i wasn't in the media center i was out watching golf when the uh i think i was when the uh, broadcast ended and we had the, the the heroin overdose drug scene right you know we just go from you know we'll see you tomorrow to <laughs> to some awful <laughs> <lot> order <laughs> moment jeez you know uh, sorry i missed that that lovely moment in usga television golf history but um yeah, and I, I had a uh, I had a cool experience uh, taking Ben Crenshaw over to Francis We Met's uh, restored house. He'd never been to the house, you know, stuff like that. So I just I just liked that the first two rounds were kind of traditional U.S. Open. Some some no names, some some qualifier stories, and and uh, we were past the live drama stuff from earlier in the week. We're talking world rankings and and all that. So uh, I, I like that it was a uh, traditional in a, in a boring way. Now for a quick word from our sponsor, the USGA. We all know the USGA for things like championships, like the US Open that we just talked about. Rules and handicapping, but they are also the biggest investor in golf's future through programs that help courses manage water, fuel, resources. Uh, they have programs that expand junior golf, They have programs that make sure all races, genders, and ages have access to golf and feel welcome to play. All the work the USGA does wouldn't be possible without the support of USGA members. This is uh, the bag tag. You get the bag tag, you get the hat, you get the rules book, you get other benefits. But, you know, the biggest part about being a USGA member, signing up for the USGA membership, is that your money goes to impact the game. You know, this is uh, a affordable membership it's an easy way to contribute to the next generation of golf so i would uh i'd sign up for the usga membership i'm a member uh when you join the usga you not only leave a positive impact on the game you love but you also get benefits uh you know that include a subscription to the golf journal that they have that goes out quarterly it's got a great feature every magazine with an architect talking about a hole they love i think i just saw in the last one or one of the recent ones rob collins did one on the third hole of pasta tiempo uh, i really enjoyed uh reading that visit usga.org slash join that's usga.org slash join and you can sign up to be a member there thanks and now back to jeff shackleford I think all the majors, once the golf started, it, it was like a refuge from all the off-course live PGA Tour drama. Like every single one, it was like this great four-day sanctuary. And then the second that it was over, it started back up. But during those rounds, it was just this wonderful refuge. And, you know, for me, this was the first time that we saw Phil playing on in a non-live event and to me it, it just was like kind of like the shelling out of phil mickelson and the hollowing out of phil mickelson and just how you know he trudged around there seemingly lifeless for for two rounds um and you know you think about it to me it, it was just one of those where you look back to kiowa which was just a little more than a year ago and how drastically different the aura and the facade of Phil, Phil Mickelson was in sh- such a short period of time. Um, you know, him being at that tournament will be a, something I remember, a, a, you know, post 
this you know thing and who knows how it plays out in the future what his legacy ends up up being i think you know is is still a little bit you know up in the air with this with the live pga tour stuff but this was you know i think a rock bottom moment for phil mickelson in his in his career uh as a golfer well, and especially it's a tournament that it's uh, he's so identified with all the near misses and it's his birthday and America and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It uh, I think that just sort of compounded uh, the whole uh, oddity of it. And uh, yeah, I don't think his legacy, I think his legacy is set as a as a as an all time great player. Uh, and when we're a few years removed from this. We'll, we'll remember that PGA, and then that was it. I mean, it was it was like the Nicholas. Although Nicholas still played well after '86, so I don't know. I shouldn't say that he he still had some moments, and then he still had some moments as a senior too. I, I yeah, I don't know if Phil ever gets the yeah. He's a mojo guy to use Johnny's favorite word, and he's he's somebody who feeds on 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 being the man and being being uh, Phil and and kind of being an entertainer and. It just feels like that's going to be very hard to get back. Yeah. Yeah. What about late round? Uh, well, the weekend at the country club was amazing. I mean, I, Saturday was just uh, beautiful chaos. It kind of, you know, the 11th hole we'd heard all about. And it was good. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't, it, I think it was just right. It didn't overwhelm the, the, the championship, but they played it shorter and they moved the pin in a kind of tough spot, crazy spot in the back. And then some chaos happened there. And, uh, I just, my memory is just Saturday was just a great day that kind of set up Sunday with so many people with a chance to win. And then, and then obviously the final round, yeah, the, it's funny. The shot, obviously Fitzpatrick's bunker shot uh, is amazing and remarkable. And I still think about it and, and enjoy it. And I've even had to defend it a few times from you know, people. Ah, it's those guys hit great fairway bunker shots all the time. Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it was a weakness in his game. The U.S. Open on the line. It was chaos out there. It was crazy. Uh, he did get a good lie, slightly uphill. Yeah, he had a few things working for him. It's still a bunker shot, where you, and you have to carry it to the green. All the stuff going on. Give me a break. But the shot that I go back to, and I was standing next to you, and we couldn't see it. But, you know, it was dark. It was cool. And Zalatoris bouncing back on 16. And that iron shot he hit uh, uh, with such confidence. And after Fitzpatrick birdies 15, and boom, he just gets up there and and hits that shot, makes the putt, which, you know, <laughs> a four-footer with him. or I think it was about four, wouldn't you say? Maybe five? Yeah, it's about four or five feet, right? Anyway, uh, that one, I, that one is that shot it was has right stayed with me. in the problem zone. It's in the problem zone. There you go. Whatever the <laughs> the distance was, it was not good. And that birdie and the way he played that, I just uh, that's a moment. It still kind of gives me goosebumps. And it's not a moment. It's not an easy hole. And it wasn't a you know you just didn't feel like at the moment. Uh, the, the, back to the mojo word, like he would have it, and boy, he just did. He just just didn't even wasn't even phased by the previous hole. Yeah, you know, I, I it's hard not to you know the weekend was extraordinary. The yeah. the challenge and just the the pace of the golf course and the conditions on Saturday. I don't I don't think you know there was there was tough days at the PGA, but I don't think anything resembled just like what the modern what type of a modern test it could be with enough space, 
um, you know, rough that wasn't too much. It wasn't overwhelming rough, you know, but like it produced this unpredictability. And then the firmness and what wind, you know, you kind of had a lot of different elements that made that challenge so great that day. Saturday, obviously, all timer. And then Sunday, that final round. I mean, from the from the get go, from those guys getting out on the course, you know, a lot of days, a lot of majors, what I like to do with final rounds is kind of kind of sit back and watch and then go out for for the back nine because you kind of let the story develop. But that day, there's so much going on. And I remember right out of the gate, it seemed like it was going to be the Scotty Scheffler show. Yeah. And just like, you know, it's so hard to sustain that great play on that golf course. And then, you know, where Zal Torres was a little slow out of the gates, then he brought his in, in just the energy at that golf course on that yeah. back nine. And just with everything going on. And, you know, this is that what one of those things that those old courses have is that proximity. Mm-hmm. It's the closeness and yep. how, you know, you just feel that that energy and what's going on around the course happening as in, in just then it became that duel with Fitzpatrick and obviously with Zal Torres, you know, the, the, this year was a year of near misses and that putt on 18. I, I, there's a picture where I think we're sitting next to each other and the, the expression on our faces and obviously Zal Torres is hunched over. You, you just, you felt like it was going in. You felt like it was going to a playoff and to have it just hang on that lip. It, I mean, it, I almost felt cheated that that didn't end in a playoff. You could actually see us in a photo. We weren't blocked out by the Netflix crew uh, bringing the family out onto the green and <laughs> just just like just taking over. Sorry, I had to. Those those giant camera rigs of theirs. God, <laughs> it better be good television. My God, they were they were in your face and uh, enormous, but yeah, that was, that was the only bummer. I, I would, I wanted a playoff. Of course I wanted it to start on 17. I don't know why the USGA caked one and 18 as the playoff holes and it, we never found out, but I, I, it did feel like that was the only thing missing from that event was to, to go to a playoff with those two. Uh, but it, it was still so, so special. And I think to your point on Fitzpatrick, um, uh, and not to, to pick on Luke Donald, his, his uh, fellow Northwestern great. Um, but, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of players who, who are not the longest hitters, who play a certain way, uh, try to make some changes and improvements and have it go bad very quickly. There's, there's a long list of those guys who felt like I got to hit it longer to compete in the modern game and, and they screw up their, 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 uh, their swing or they screw something up. And, he certainly hasn't done that, and uh, I think he's going to be a, a very good player in majors, just depending on how his attitude is. I mean, that was the thing that was a little disappointing at the old course. Was he? He just, yeah. He, I mean, he was beautifully honest. He just said, "I don't. It's just, I just don't like this. I don't." Yeah, you know, there are a lot, of, a lot of a lot of Brits who don't like links golf. They like inland, narrow, uh, uh, tree lined. You know, Monty was kind of the same way, and he plays a lot like Monty in certain ways, uh, but. He was playing so well, and you just wonder: Did he? Did he? I'm not saying he talked himself out of a win at the old course, but you do wonder. He was he was there, and 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 he and didn't even like it, and and had a chance. Uh, he was playing well, and so like, what what did you, you know, attitude wise? I think that's one you'd be. It'd be interesting to hear how he reflects on that, 
or maybe that's what makes him good is he just is um he, he's got some he's got a, an energy about him where it's just like uh he, he's no, no messing around and this is what i do and i'll do it and if it fits here it fits if not i move on to the next one and um so i'm very curious to see what he does the next few few years in in the majors i think he's going to be uh he's going to be a regular presence because his game just generally works on the kind of courses that are coming up yeah when you when your game has no discernible weaknesses which is effectively what he's built now shoring up the driver it is uh you it it works everywhere. It's an amazing thing. When you're good yeah. at everything, you, yeah. you can play at a lot of golf, different types of golf course as well. All right. Last but not least, uh, the the Open Championship. And I I believe everybody is always a victim of recency bias. And I, uh, you know, I have been in my, my life. But with this, I, I think that this will go down as one of the all-time final rounds in, in, uh, in Open Championship history in terms of, of what we saw out there uh the back nine by cameron smith was absolutely extraordinary and uh obviously 150th at st andrews um it was it was a delightful uh week the golf course was was so firm and fiery obviously you talked about the pins they were they were set up to prevent 59s and i think it it did take away slightly from some of the interesting and fun pins and and kind of the playfulness that the old course could evoke but what are what are your memories uh uh from from the open well you know the first two days obviously i don't want to start with the negative so i'll go with the the, the, the positive was uh, uh karen uh, young's press conference after his 64 in the opening was just a phenomenal session it was kind of intense um it was a little weird but uh, but not, but not, not rude or anything. Just, you know, it's just kind of his delivery style. He's just a pretty focused, intense guy, but he was, he, he's opinionated and he, and he absolutely asserted that the way he played the game with power was, was, he was going to use that, uh, as an advantage, uh, you know, his backstory of having played there and made the, made the pilgrimage trip as a kid and teed off nervously in front of the clubhouse. That was, that was just really cool and kind of unexpected. You know, I just didn't know that much about his story there. And, and I think I'd seen something about it, but he really didn't think a whole lot of it. So when you shoot 64 in the opener, it, it makes it really cool. And then obviously the, the negative was, was the pace of play and the RNA, I think bungled some things. Yeah. They, the setup, the first two days, I saw final round pins from 2015. Those first two days, and but more importantly, that you know they just didn't have, they didn't quite have the game plan dialed in on some gaps in the tee times and some uh, maybe better marshalling so that <laughs> you didn't have guys in the fairway on 14 waving up people uh, from the tee, and you had four groups at one point on 14, and so people were waving where they weren't supposed to be, and there was. They got that ironed out by the weekend, but it, it of course led to this ridiculous afternoon situation of six six twenty for those last few groups playing in the dark. I kept waiting for them to call the round. They didn't. Those last maybe two groups really played in the dark. Uh, I went out there for uh, Matt Griffin's group with uh, Live Golf Great Lori Canner, and uh, it was it was getting pretty dark. Um, and it was, it was, Matt hit a couple of great shots, but what was sad was the flow was so bad, you know, it just for a player to, to, to take that long and, and on a golf course like that, 
it takes away from things a little bit. So that was that was the the downside, I guess, of the of the first two days, I'd say. And kind of that's 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 the extent of my takeaway. On uh, I mean, there's so much more, but those were the main takeaways for the openers. Yeah, it's uh. It was a great first couple of rounds for me. The early round stuff will always center on my first trip to St. Andrews. That was the overwhelming thing. Yeah, it was just the town, the walking around the golf course. Uh, you know, one thing that was I was I stayed in the dorms like you did, uh, and it was just my ours was right off eighteen, and just every day leaving the media center and walking. Yeah. I'd, we would walk <laughs> down the golf course to the dorm. Yeah, how good is that? That's something I'll never forget. And um, just, you know, in terms of uh, the community around it, the way the town's intertwined um, and, and just Scott, Scottish culture will be my lasting memory from the early rounds of the of the Open. It, that I think it, when I think about like what was the overwhelming thoughts is was really just being being there and, and being a part of that that uh you know the fa- you know the t- just the way that that town's kind of you know all these people come in from all over the golf world and in a way it it kind of acts like i would imagine the community is on a on a regular basis where everybody knows each other and 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 such but you know with with the golf community descending in it kind of then acts as the same type of community hub right for yeah. for the people in golf right um and then uh yeah and so that that that'll be my lasting memory what what about the uh fi- the final rounds the last two by the way just not to go down a rat hole but i do want to i do need to ask because i haven't sp- spoken to you about this so you played ely you had this dreamy evening round firm and fast ely's beautiful and wonderful and cool and you were you were feeling like that was about as as good as golf could get for you. And I said, but you have a round at coming at North Berwick. You also got to play the old course. Um, but I said, I could, I, could you just hold off until that round at North Berwick? Uh, so uh, now you've, you've played them. I'm just curious. Did it, did, did uh, North Berwick's architecture, uh, you know, pull the heartstrings even a little more? Yeah. I mean, I love, I think North Berwick is a better golf course um, than Ely. Uh, if you, if you put it up, but I will say there's something about Ely, you know, the circumstance, I think people always undervalue, you, you can get into a, um, you know, and I'm probably guilt, most guilty of this. You can get into pure architecture, but there are circumstances with the Ely round. I was like coming off of a deathly, deathly case of food poisoning. And that Wednesday after that Wednesday afternoon was the first moment that uh, that we played Ely that fir- that Wednesday you know when you turn off of a off of a, a bug yeah you know and and you finally start to feel, feel alive like yourself again, again. Yeah. it was yeah it was that moment <laughs> in my in my you know kind of journey through that where I began to feel like a human again and I we you go went out there and when you chase I chased sun um you know it was we finished at dark and there was something that aspect of it i i think that that round in i mean the old course two days after an open extraordinary like one of my regrets was that we didn't get to spend we had budgeted the whole day for north barrack and we didn't get to do the whole day that was w- one of my biggest regrets and that's because we threw the old course yeah well, in yeah there. good reason. and i like yeah <laughs> so, so it's just like one of those things where that 
that North Barrick Old Course Day became like this marathon day. And the Ely round was like at the end of this, like it was like the I was like waking up again. No, I get that. From the fog. So I think that both those courses are better golf courses. But I would say to people that like Ely is one that you absolutely cannot miss. And just the overall experience. And in a way, it's a more authentic town course. I think North Barrick holds on to its membership and everything, but Ely hasn't been commercialized to the extent of the old course and North Barrick, where you get a little bit more of a authentic Scottish club experience yeah. there. Yeah, no question. It's got such a cool routing. And and I talked about this on a little bit, uh, but like, it's funny. I was talking with somebody at our event last week who who's you know pretty well traveled golfer, and I said to him, he was asking, he was like, "I'm so happy you went to Ely." Anyways, I was like, you know, when when 15 turns back to the ocean, you know, we're playing, we're chasing the light. I mean, I I wanted to just like sit down in the fairway and sit there, and just <laughs> yeah. like I I it was like an emotion was brought to me. I thought the round was over. Yeah. I thought we were going back to town. And they brought us back to this unsurreal setting one last time. And I just, and I, I said that I said to this guy, I said, I want, I almost cried because of the, you know, just the, the, the feel of the place. And he goes, you know, I felt the same way. I just was, I, I couldn't believe that we got one last look at that ocean. And, and, it, and it's, it's a place that, you know, of all the places, I, I can't wait to return to almost every course we played at some point in my life. But Ely's the one that I most want to get back to. Yeah. And it's also, yeah, it's an afternoon course. It's it's one that definitely you want to play in the afternoon. It just takes on something special. Some places are morning places and some are afternoon places. The light, the way it sits, the the look. Yeah, it's 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 an adventure. And it it. Yeah, there, there are just some courses that are that are the the routing is more adventurous, and it and it it maybe it makes up for some weak holes or something. There's a lot of links like that there, but it just like the twists, the turns, and and the surprises, and yeah, it's 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 magical. So that's kind of the sad thing is is that you never about golf courses, right? Is that that first time you play them, there's such an uh a a feeling of like discovery right and it's like the adventure of like you like i felt myself like and you know i felt terrible i felt myself just like running over hills to see what was next i just could not wait and and after there i think that's why maybe this like there's such a culture around like going and seeing new courses and why people like it so much is that once it's once you've done it once you don't there it you don't have that that sense of like I don't know what's next. Well, and that's the ultimate trick, isn't it, of an architect to make you want to discover new things more and more. Um, and it's 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 where rating rankings kind of get in got us in trouble they they a lot of evaluations are made on one round uh but we know that some of the best places yeah they blow you away the first time but they they keep it going when you keep going back in some places all the mysteries are solved the first time and so again it's something i've been i've been kind of fleshing out trying to do in this book to try to make people think about what are those things that that do resonate besides the obvious the views the setting uh, the conditioning, the the 
ambiance, whatever you want to, all the words, but those little intangibles in the course that you discover uh, that architects are, are uh, sometimes not really allowed to do because they've got to make an impression that first time. And I think that's another reason why the links are just so enchanting and wonderful, especially in a year like this where everything was uh, so firm and fast. And I just don't think, you know, back to St. Andrews, uh, I, I mean, that gra- I don't even know what that color was by the weekend. It was sort of, it went from blonde to kind of the gray, this sort of dead gray fescue. And, and it was amazing too, by the way, because I think the day I went out on, oh, Monday afternoon, I went back over there. I went around town. It was hot. It was the hottest day uh, ever, or the next day, I think, was the hottest recorded day in Scotland. But they had they had clearly drenched the old course Sunday night. You can see the fescue already coming back color-wise. It's amazing. Um, it's it's an amazing grass. But um, to move this along, the because uh, I did uh, put us down that rat hole, the, uh, the weekend, you know, you and I were kind of bouncing back and forth there on Kim and, and Rory, and I, I, I'm still stuck on, on how well Rory played and what a smart round it was. And he, he played the way you're supposed to play with a lead there and, and took the key trouble out of the way. And I, I just feel bad for him. He just really just did what you, you should do. And he was in control and he was slightly off with about four or five iron shots. And that was the difference between 70 and, and 67 probably and the difference in the, in the championship. But that's the beauty of what, transpired uh cam smith wasn't off and i think i guess i'm still just hung up on his focus and that calm uh watching that conversation on 16t with uh sam uh, pinfold is his caddy which has just got to be one of the great caddy names uh ever uh and uh, just kind of the debate and it wasn't a debate about driver laying up it was just what's going to be that club that, that that takes the bunkers out of play i think he hit five iron long five iron and uh so just that atmosphere about around what he was doing and how locked he in he was um and then just yeah my my general kind of sadness that that rory uh it's hard it's hard to watch when somebody you feel like they just did nothing wrong they just got beat uh it's 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 obviously compelling to see somebody go out and grab it and win it um but i feel like with the old course and the whole thing uh, his history there, his history on links, and for him to play that well on a links that baked out, not his favorite thing. Uh, kind of like Phil coming around on uh, on links golf. I think it would have been a similar type of win in terms of, of history of the game. So uh, again, I don't. I'm not trying to dump on um, Cameron Smith because because what he did was amazing. It's just that's I am left though with that sense that we were deprived of something slightly on the, in terms of the, 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 the grand scope of major championship golf. Yeah. Uh, Cam Smith hunting Rory down really. And obviously Cameron Young finished second, but Rory, you know, he, he kind of attempted to make an Eagle on the last. I think if, if he was playing for second, he could have, he probably would have had a tidy up and down there on 18. Um, I, I go back and forth on Rory. I think he played the round that Tiger would have played. And I, as great a player Tiger is, I think Rory played a round that Rory wouldn't play. Mm. And when you look at what makes players great and the identity of players is that they are 
100% unique and and in them in their own way. And I think Rory's style of play has to be freewheeling. It has to be aggressive. And and it was too cautious. Um, it was he 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 allowed Cameron Smith. He opened the door for Cameron Smith to come come in. And um, and I think like it, it's so it, like it's so difficult. You're talking about two world class players. Yeah. Um, two of the best players in, in, in the in the world, and both of them at playing a fantastic tournament. And what a perfect course for Cameron Smith. You know, I think that's the that the thing. I I'll, I'll I think Rory got left off the hook a little bit, and and to shoot you know that score uh, on that day with no wind, it was at a U.S. Open. That's a seventy five, and we're saying completely different things. Yeah. Well, but I mean, you had to take the, the, the you know, guys were hitting it in the burn on one and I'm sure he knew that from where he was staying. And I'm, I'm pretty sure his dad was scouting that. Like he had to take that out of play is if, if he does that, it, you know, the, the round just starts off on a horrible note because guys were hitting it in there. It was, the wind was sneaky. Um, but I would, I, what I want to point out to your point on the sluggish was the, the vibe there with Hovland on Saturday was so good. I mean, they walk at the same pace. They yeah. play at the same pace. They were both playing great. And obviously, Hovland just didn't have it on Sunday. And, and again, that's not an excuse for Rory, but it did make a difference, I think, for him. Uh, Saturday, it made a difference. It helped him. And I think Sunday, it, it um, again, small thing, but it is one of those little things. You need all those little things to go right in a major. And you kind of felt like he and Hovland would have that same vibe on, on Sunday and it didn't, it didn't happen. Yeah. Certainly one that will be studied forever, you know, and thought and remembered forever. And, and, you know, you definitely feel like it's one that, that he kind of slipped away, but that's part of part of major championship golf. It's what makes it so entertaining is that, you know, the, I, and that's the thing. That's where I, I don't feel, I felt like Rory was trying to hang on. Instead of trying to win, yeah, perhaps. Uh, that said, I mean, he hit a. Yeah, I was out on seven. He hit an amazing drive on seven, and he just pulled the wedge just a little bit. I mean, there were three or four shots like that. I, I, I just feel like he put himself in pretty aggressive positions, and it just, for whatever reason, it um, he was just a little bit off. And that ground, when the ground is that firm, too. I mean, again, I'm I'm making a lot of excuses for him, but but the same thing happened with Tiger Carnusti. Uh, when when Molinari just played a flawless round, and Tiger Tiger missed two shots in that final round, and and one of them was a miscalculation, um, and uh, the other one was just kind of a, a the, just kind of not a great tee shot. But it, it, the, the the fine line is just it's just intense. And again, I you know for Rory, that's not been the kind of golf that he has played well on at all. You know, when he won at Hoy Lake, it was it was soft. Um, so I, I admire the way he played and I, I guess I just, I, I got to think at his, his, at the, this point in his life, he did think about, well, if I go out there and, and oh, try too hard and, and play kind of freewheeling golf and I, I pump one out on 18 or something and I cost myself the open, I'm going to be really sick to my stomach. And by the way, I, not that it mattered because he had to make two on 18, but the wind did kind of come up and I think he was in between clubs there. I don't. I, I, I don't think anybody got to ask him and we certainly were going to ask him that post round thing, but, um, and again, it really didn't matter, but it, 
I think driver was still too much. I don't think he really had a shot for 18 with just a little bit of wind. Um, again, a first world problem. Yeah, the uh, it was a great open. It was uh, Cam Smith. Uh, obviously, that back nine, so many shots. You, you just and and the thing about it too with Cam is he kind of thought it wasn't going to happen when he. I don't. He didn't birdie nine. Right. Yeah. You know, he hit it in a perfect spot, and he didn't get take advantage of there. And for it to have, you know. The birdie on 11, that's a shot I'll never forget, you know, to make birdie there. Um, it, it just, he he had the guts. And it, with the way those pins were, like you said, like the, that round was four shots tougher because of where the pins were. And the guts to hit some of the shots that he hit is, you know, and I think that's the thing that, you know, from his wins at the players, like you, the the shot he hit on seventeen at the players, um, some of the shots he hit down the stretch at the old course, that is a guy that I would not want to see in my rearview mirror, uh, just because of the way he puts the ball and and the way he hit uh, his approach shots. And it'll be really interesting to see what the majors hold for Cam Smith next year. Now that he's a live player, right? Yeah, I just wonder what what. Uh... I've been wondering this a lot. Will, will, will they lose some edge? Um, and I'm not just focusing on 54 holes, just kind of the, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a rhythm to the schedule and, and it's not exactly perfect right now because I think we've got some majors a little close together, but whatever it's, it's, we know what it is. We know what events kind of give you a, a sense of where your game's at. So I just think it's going to be really interesting for somebody like him. And maybe if Kepka were to get healthy and be back in his old, uh, form, um, or some, I can't really, maybe Dustin Johnson a little bit, but, but a few, uh, a few of those guys, I just wonder what that's going to do to them. Uh, and, and I think we're going to find out how much that, that kind of build up to the majors, especially the masters, what it means to their game and what it puts you through. I mean, you know, I'm a firm believer that, 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 that play on the West coast and, and in certain events in Florida really does give you generally a good sense of the numbers. I think back it up for the most part, I mean, a couple outliers here and there, but they give you that sense. They put you through uh, a lot of different conditions and grasses and things that prepare you. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, element of 2023 to see what, what uh, for those, for somebody like him, especially who seems to be a, a great golf course player and thrives in, in certain conditions and obviously loves links golf. Uh, but, but also just, I feel like he can play a lot of places as well with, as you say, the way he putts and everything else. And, uh, he just has a sense about the way, uh, it just feels like he, he cuts through a lot of clutter. And, uh, so yeah, that's going to be a big, big element of 2023 for him and whoever else, uh, uh, makes the leap to, uh, team golf. All right. Now we've gone way too long here. Um, we, we can't leave without your rankings. One through four. This is the hardest year, maybe, to rank one through four. What are you? What? How? How are you going with these? Yeah, I was surprised. My uh, reader poll. It was overwhelming on the the open and the old course. And I keep. I just. I kind of keep going back to the uh, the U.S. Open. Um, maybe it's because we've been a little bit nostalgic for the for U.S. Open to just be a U.S. Open and and uh, more traditional and play out the way you hope, and then that amazing finish. So yeah, I, I have to give the open the the first vote just because I, it was amazing in in most regards. But I would I would I would 
have the U.S. Open and then and then the PGA pretty close there. Um, you know, the only thing that really held the PGA back, I guess, was was the weather was a little weird. And yeah, you know, the weather was weird all year. And I, I that, that's another thing. It's a credit to all these people who who set up these places that they man. I, I feel, yeah, in years past we would have had uh, a debacle this year, but uh, the common, you know, the country, every one of them really had a chance to have something go badly wrong. And they didn't, and so that's a little bit of a, a tip of the cap to those people for uh, for preventing <laughs> debacles that we might have seen in the past. And that's yeah, they've learned from some mistakes, and they've they've managed things better, and they have the tools to do it. So I guess I go, uh, you know, open the U.S. Open, PGA, and and then the Masters for it. Uh, you? Uh, I'd go open. U.S. Open, PGA, Masters, and uh, I, I think all of them were great. Like, and in another year, the Masters probably—I don't think it would be number one, but it might be two or three, given everything. And, yeah. and Tiger, uh, you know, that was a extremely emotional event, and yet it's the fourth because of how extraordinary the other events were. I think like the PGA is three for me because there was a real, real snooze factor potential. Uh, at the at the beginning of Sunday and in the end of Saturday, like you know, it was people were worried it was it was going to be real. Kind of grit your teeth. Uh, okay, well that happened, and uh, and and the excitement really came from the last hour of uh, of the tournament. So, Jeff, what's uh what's the what's the date uh, on the book that you've referenced a few times, uh, and where can people? Read, uh, get your great quadrilateral newsletter. How do they get that? Well, that's easy. You just, you know, search my name, G-O-F-F, G-E-O-F-F, and uh, golf on Google and and, uh, my website or the quadrilateral. quadrilateral. Now I can't even say it. Well, uh, somebody called it the collateral the other day. (laughs) Uh, That's why I go with the quad a lot. Um, That is uh, easy to find as well. And you can sign up. It's free. And and, uh, you can make a contribution. You get to get other editions and some other things uh, that go with it. And uh, the book is scheduled for next spring. You know, we have some supply chain issues, but I'm going to guess it'll be late spring. I'm going to hit send on the manuscript next week. Uh, I'm really, uh, some days I'm, I'm beyond elated about it. And then there are other days, of course, you read some stuff and you go, oh, geez, didn't I write that like three pages before? And then so I'm in that final stages of printing it out and editing and trimming and red pen and uh, it's just different than, than editing on the screen, but it, it's better. And so I'm, I'm excited. It's a different way to look at it's golf architecture for normal people is the title. And, uh, I'm sticking with that. And it's just, uh, I think it's a way to look at, basically it's a way to, to have a more constructive and uh, critical eye without turning into you or me. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> To, to retain their normalcy, retain their sanity, to be able to hold their own in a conversation, to pick up other details, enjoy a course more, but without completely losing their mind. Not that I'm saying you've lost your mind, but we, we do notice some weird things that other people don't notice. If, you're, if, if, uh, if my wife was on this, she'd tell everybody that I've lost my mind. So uh, that's, that's not, a, okay, not an insult good. necessarily. So uh, Jeff... Thank you so much for coming on and uh, reliving this awesome year of uh, men's major championships. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. And everybody should go sign up for the quad. Uh, and we look forward to the uh, the new book. I've been uh, 
been hoping you'd write more books uh, since your your past books have been so wonderful. Great. Well, thank you, Andy. I look forward to uh, to getting it out there and hearing what people think. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode was edited by Meg Atkins. Thank you, Meg. Uh, as a quick reminder, we've kind of restructured the Fried Egg newsletter. It is free. It goes out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday straight to your inbox. And really, it, it tells you what's going on in golf, but also adds a perspective. So, you know, it's got the writing of Will Knights. It's got the writing of Brendan Porath, Garrett, Mor- uh, Garrett Morrison, Meg Atkins, uh, and myself. And every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you will uh, have us weigh in on on some topic that's going on in golf or, and as well as the news. So it's the easiest way to stay up to date with golf and also to get a little bit of color to the situations going on. Uh, you can sign up at our website, thefriedegg.com, or check our social media handles. There are sign-up options there as well. So thank you, and we will be back later this week. Uh, we've got the President's Cup. So we will be back later this week with a little podcast on the President's Cup. And uh, thanks for listening.